Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us the book of Acts. Thank you for Luke deciding to write down what he witnessed, what he saw, what he heard. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at it and to learn from it. Thank you that we can choose to become the kind of church that we see in the book of Acts. And that's what we want to do. And so this morning as we continue our our walk through that book, God, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to what it is that you would have to say to us. We realize that your word is your word for us, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. really is. Why do we talk about the Bible? Why do we not stray from the Bible? Why do we promise every week all of our messages are going to come from the Bible? Well, number one, it's a really good book, but more importantly, it is God's word for us. It isn't just something that we can write off as being a great history book or a, a great story book or a book full of fables. It is a book full of God's story, God's work among humankind from creation all the way through to today. And we really do get to look at things like the book of Acts and say not just, can, not just what can we learn, but we can say who can we be and where do we go from here. And so that's what we're doing. We really are wanting to look at God's word as God's word for us. And so even if it's not a book that you're familiar with, even if it's not a book that you spend much time in, realize that the reason that we have the Bible is because it's God's word for us. So last week in Acts 5, and if you've got our journal, uh, if you don't have one, I'd encourage you to get one. We're on page 32, Acts 5. We left off uh, verse 27 and 28. There's some high drama going on in the temple, and uh, Peter and John and some of the apostles are making some noise. They're causing a scene, and it's gathering a crowd, but it's really upsetting the religious leaders. Uh, the folks in the temple liked life calm and quiet and predictable, and it was suddenly not that way. These guys had turned everything upside down. We left off with these last two verses, 27 and 28 of chapter 5. When they had brought them in, that's this group of imposing and intimidating leaders. When they brought them, uh, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, the name being the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, they haven't been teaching in Jerusalem. They've been teaching in the temple. But it seems that for in this case, the good news is going out to Jerusalem and it's getting back to these leaders. So often in the church, it's the bad news that gets out. And it doesn't have to be real. It can be stuff that gets made up. And when God is at work, Satan is also at work. But here it seems that the good news is getting out into Jerusalem. So we pick it up in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered. It's the first time they've got a chance to respond. They answered, we must obey God rather than men. Peter has always been kind of bold and impetuous. Peter was the one who was the spokesman of the group. Peter was the one who proclaimed a faith that was greater than what he had. But suddenly it looks like Peter is finally figuring things out. And he makes this hugely significant statement. He, he, he literally draws a line in the sand. Because sometimes obeying God means that we have to go against what men and women want to believe and say is true. And when he makes that statement, we must obey God rather than men, what he's doing is recognizing full well, you're telling us that we've got to do one thing, but you know what, if it doesn't line up with what God is telling us, we're going to listen to God, not you. That's a pretty big statement. The thing is, we as Christians in America today, we've kind of lost touch with being bold in our faith. We kind of 
just sort of stay under the radar for the most part. And if we talk about Jesus, it's in comfortable surroundings where where people are already looking to talk about Jesus. We don't necessarily, as a group anyway, we're not known for making bold statements. So what would a bold statement be? A bold statement would be hanging out with your buddies at the bar and that one guy, and we've all known that one person, man or a woman, that one guy that constantly has to use the name of the Lord in vain. A bold statement would be to say, would you stop doing that? Would you stop taking the name of the Lord in vain, please? That's just, man, that just hurts my ears. You don't need to make any more statement than that. But you know what? That's a bold statement. And those of you that have already identified who that guy is have found yourself going, nope, wouldn't do that. Because it's a bold statement. And yet think about what it would do to make a statement for Jesus. Uh, What about if you hang out at a bar or a coffee shop or wherever people gather? And rather than talking about people, which of course it seems to be such an occasion, we people love to do that. Rather than talking about people, why don't you say, you know, for those folks that are having troubles, why don't we stop talking about them and start praying for them? That'd be a bold statement. But it isn't always that we necessarily want to do that. Maybe the boldness that you need is to admit some sin, your sinfulness. Uh, America right now is being overwhelmed with addictions of every kind, stuff that we couldn't have imagined would have been an addiction a couple of years ago. It, it isn't just what kind of have become the obvious things, drugs or alcohol. People are addicted to all kinds of things. There are some of you that don't know what to do without your phone. You don't know what to do with it. And if you're going to be honest, you would say it's an addiction. It's your comfort. Maybe it's your computer or what's on it. There's addiction running rampant, and so the mental health professions are seeing more people than they've ever seen. The waiting lists are forever. Maybe bold for you would be to admit to God your addiction and say, God, it's time that you help me get a hold of this. That would be a bold statement. Maybe it's as simple as not laughing at an inappropriate joke that makes fun of somebody or a group of people. You're not laughing along with all of the rest of the people around you would make quite a statement. That would be a bold statement. But in the church, we don't always like to get out of our comfort zone because we know being a Christian out there isn't the most popular thing all the time. And yet telling someone about Jesus takes boldness. Standing for Jesus takes boldness. Obeying God, not pleasing people, takes boldness. And what we find is that when we're willing to do that, God opens doors for us that we never even knew were there. That there are deeper opportunities for ministry. There are new opportunities for relationships. But we'd never have them if we weren't bold. So speaking of boldness, Peter goes on then, and he goes in verse 30. He's talking to this group of guys, and these are the heaviest of the heavyweights in Jerusalem, right? Uh, These are the guys that pretty much can make anything happen to anybody. And he says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, By hanging him on a tree. That's not a subtle introduction to his defense. You want to talk boldness? Peter's being bold. He's being absolutely clear that this God that he's talking about is their God. He's saying, I'm one of you. It's just that you've kind of forgotten what it is that you've been teaching. This God is our God, the God of our fathers. That God raised Jesus, the resurrection, the very thing the Sadducees had everything based on believing didn't exist. And yet Jesus did raise from the grave after they killed him. God raised him from the grave. He is just absolutely in their face. Our God raised Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, yes, the one you killed by hanging him on a tree. He is not giving them any room to move. You want to talk bold in front of this group of people? 
this is bold, and, and, and he's setting off to preach. I would love to have been back there and heard him back in this day. It would have been incredible. He's hitting them square between the eyes, and he's making no apology. He is simply saying the truth. And they all knew it. They'd all lived through it. And then he goes on, and he's talking about their God in verse 31. He says, so God, our God, exalted Jesus. This is the Jesus that he just said they put on the cross and killed. Exalted him at his right hand as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Everything about Jesus is for them. And yet they killed him. He makes it clear that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. He's the very one that they have spent all these years teaching everybody about. If anybody should have recognized him, it would have been them. They should have known who he was, and yet they killed God and then or killed Jesus, and now God has got him at his right hand, that the place of the place of honor, not only as God's son, but as leader and savior. And the statement that he's making in that point is you might think you're a big deal. But that guy you killed, he's the real big deal. What he's doing is, is, in a beautiful way, he's using their own statements to remind them that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they've been saying is coming, the one that they've been waiting for, the one that they killed was the Messiah that God sent, the one that they've been reading about and talking about their whole lives. And the point, and they're getting it, is if anybody should know him, it should be you. And as we gather for church and as we read the Bible, and as we study and we look, we are the ones who should know Jesus. We are the ones who should know who he is and what he did for us and who he asks us to be in return. And the way that we run into trouble is that that last step, becoming who it is that he's asked us to be, takes boldness. And we aren't always willing to live out in this world in boldness. Verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. And he's not pointing his finger just at them. He's talking about all of them, him included. We are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. (laughs) He's making sure that they understand that absolutely none of the men that are threatening them, that are bullying them, that are standing in front of them trying to accuse them, none of them are being filled with the Holy Spirit. None of those men... The Holy Spirit had visited. He said, only those who obey him. They know that they're not. Peter's making it very clear that now there's a distinction. That There are those of you who know better, who have been teaching us our whole lives, and there are those of us who are listening and obeying. They're all excluded from that group of those who the Holy Spirit has been given to, and they know it. Because all along, Peter and John have been saying, this is in the name of the Jesus, name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're very clear of what's going on. They just don't like it. Verse 33, when they heard this, this big group of people, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Jealousy has turned to rage by the hearing of God's truth. Remember we say faith comes from hearing? They've now heard God's truth, but they don't want to believe it. They don't want to have faith. And so instead what's happening is they're enraged and they want to kill them. What happens to you when you hear God's truth and it doesn't feel good? What happens when you read something or you hear someone tell something, tell you something, or a friend of yours, come, friend of yours comes up to you and said, hey, why are you doing this? When you hear God's truth, what's your reaction? Because so often we get enraged and we point our fingers and we blame someone else as being responsible. See, they've moved from wanting to imprison and silence the apostles So now they've gone from jealousy to rage, and so they're going to what they know best. They're going to say, let's take care of this problem once for all, let's kill him. That's what we did with Jesus. He just told us we did. Let's just kill him. 
Let's just take care of these guys and wipe them out. Let's bring the Romans in to do the dirty work and let's put an end to this whole thing. And then the voice of reason shows up. This, this group of angry fools has one man, in verse 34 says, a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a big deal. He is the one we learned later on in the Bible that Paul grew up under. He trained to be a rabbi under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was an incredible scholar. He was a teacher. He was loved and respected by everybody. He speaks up for the first time. He's a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. He stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. The guys that are on trial, Peter and John and the apostles, he said, take them out of the room because I got to talk to the rest of you. And when they were gone, he says to this group, the the high priest, the Sadducees, the council, the Pharisees, he says to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. My kids would say, put a pin in it. Just stop for a moment and take a breath. This well-known, well-respected rabbi basically says, think before you act. And he goes on and he gives a little history lesson in the next verse. I was talking to a guy who's become a great friend of mine the other day. And he was talking about how he needs to use the 24-hour rule. So what's the 24-hour rule? He goes, well, and he gave an example of a guy who really had crossed him. He had done something really wrong. And he said, I wanted to just, I wanted to lash out, but I waited. And he says, the 24-hour rule is when I want to talk to somebody in an angry way or when I'm really upset with them, I wait for 24 hours. And either in that 24 hours, it works itself out and I can just keep going. Or I can compose my thoughts and I can have a conversation with him without being angry. That's a wise man. That's what Gamaliel is talking about here. Think before you act. Verse 36, for before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. That's just a a phrase that, that was like someone important. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. So he developed a following. He had an audience. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. See, because of the prophecies about a Messiah coming, there were men throughout the land during these days that showed up about this time of year saying that they were the the coming of the Messiah. And a few people would follow him, and it's basically what happens when we see a a cult that rises up today. They make some great statement, and some people like what they hear, and so some people join them. And Gamaliel says, you know, when that happens, in the present case, I tell you, he says in verse 38, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. When that stuff happens, just ignore them. Just let them be. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Don't waste time or effort on these guys. Don't fight them. Don't argue them. You've got to imagine that he's got this whole group of people together going, do we really have nothing better to do today? We're really going to worry about these guys. He's saying, don't do that. If their plan is to just simply get ahead, if it's just their idea, it's going to fail. Good words for us to remember when we think that we're the ones who have the power in the church. And the sad thing is is that when you talk about people who have left the church for whatever reason, so many of those stories are because someone thought that they had power and used it against them. And it was never in a good way. God is the only one who's got the real power in the church. And Gamaliel realizes that if these guys are just doing it for themselves, let it go. It will fail. But what happens is people try to create power, even in the church. 
We try to create power. We try to take power. We try to wield power. We threaten with power. And in reality, it's like the puffer fish I talked about last week. We might look big, but we really have no power at all because all the power is God's. If something is of human design and God didn't call it into being, it's going to fail. We see that and hear that all the time. It will fail if it's man's design. However, in verse 39, Gamaliel says, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. If it is of God, there's nothing that a human being can do to overthrow what God has set out to accomplish. Remember last week I said God will use whomever he chooses to accomplish whatever he desires. If it's of God, we can't do anything to stop it. And he's saying, in fact, if you try, if you try to get in the way of what God's doing, you might find yourself actually opposing or fighting God. That's not the place you want to be. And so more often than not, what happens is people call themselves the protectors of the church. I'm going to be the one that's going to protect the church. I'm going to protect the faith. I'm going to call out the problem that I see. I'll fix it. How do you know that that's not of God? You might not like it. You, you might not be happy with where it's going, but don't find yourself on the wrong side of a God movement. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to weigh it against Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this one because there are ministers and preachers out there that I'm not so sure of. I've stopped watching TV late at night because I can't stand it. There's crazy people out there saying they're talking for Jesus. But it's not my job to call them out. It's not my job to tell them that, that what they're talking about isn't of God because I don't know. When I listen to people who preach prosperity theology and I, I lay it against Scripture and I see that, that there's nothing about Scripture that supports that. I see how you twist it. But that is not biblical. That's not what God is talking about. When preachers talk about themselves more than they talk about Jesus. When I hear people preach this gospel of self-help happiness, that you can make yourself happy, you can improve your life, just change these things about yourself. And it usually follows with, and then give us your credit card number. I have a problem with that. But I also realize if it's of man, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, I don't want to be on the wrong side of it. Maybe God is up to something that he hasn't shown me, that I haven't seen. What I know is that I have to be careful that I never leave God's word. And so that's Gamaliel's advice. There's this world that is just full of stuff that I don't know. Stuff that I've never experienced that I don't understand, but this is something I know after 25 years of ministry. I know for certain you cannot grow God's kingdom by building an army against another church or preacher. You cannot grow God's kingdom by building an army against something or someone else. From the beginning around here, I've said, we're not going to focus on what we don't want to be or who we're not going to be. We're going to focus on what God has called us to be. God will take care of the numbers. God will take care of the finances. See, God's Holy Spirit is a spirit of unity all the time. And whether we like it or not, whether we like the church or the person or the message, if God is at work, we had best let them alone and let them be. If it's man's idea or a woman's idea, it will fail. What we never want to be is to be Christians that are building an army to fight against what God is doing around us because we don't see it or don't agree with it. What we do want to be is a church filled with people who know salvation in the name of Jesus and realize that God has the whole world, even the parts we don't understand, in his hands. That's the whole point of our first logo. The first picture that we ever had that showed and described us was, was that, you know, all of our lives are lived in the glory of God that comes through the cross, 
We're on the other side of that while we're here on earth, but God's got everything, the whole universe in his hands. And so maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're struggling in your own way with something that you don't understand. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you're angry with the situation that your life is in, or you're angry with somebody or someone at church or somebody at work, or you don't like the result of the decisions and choices you've made. Maybe you're struggling with it. What you need to realize is that even the worst of what we think that we're living through is not a surprise to God. It is not outside of His control. It's not outside of His hands. Maybe what we need to do is just give thanks for the circumstance, even if you don't like it, and say, God, I just want you to carry me forward from here. Thank you for where I'm at. Now you carry me forward from this place. So what happened? The Bible says they took his advice. This group of people listened to the words of Gamaliel, at least sort of, because in verse 40, it says, when they had called in the apostles, they're going to bring them back in. The wise man has spoken. They call the apostles back in. They beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So not only do they, they say, don't go talk about Jesus, quit doing what you're doing. They want to make the point and they beat them up. Now, this isn't a flogging because the original Greek would have told us that. This is a beating. But it was more than a poke in the nose and a kick in the rear end. This is the kind of beating that make you wish you wouldn't have done whatever it was that caused you to get the beating. They no doubt went out. Their clothes were lip, ripped. They were bloody. They were torn. They probably had bruises and, and cuts. This would have been a serious beating to make a serious point. Because remember, at the end of the day, they showed with Jesus, these are violent men. These are men that will go to any extreme, including taking a human life, to make sure that their idea of religion gets carried out. And so when it says they beat them, they beat them seriously. They beat them badly. They wanted to make sure that they understood that the threats were real. And these guys knew that this is the same group that put Jesus on a cross because Peter had just told them they'd, they'd done that. This group beat up Peter and John and the apostles. So what did the apostles do? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the name is the name of Jesus. I read that and I think, you've got to be kidding me. The last 11 years pastoring this church haven't been easy. The world around us isn't easy. When you do something different for the kingdom, people aren't always kind. It isn't always fun to, to walk through life with what's been, what's been happening and what's been said. But I've never been hit by anybody. I had hot coffee thrown at me once. I've never been hit. And these guys walk away rejoicing, thanking God that they got beat up and bullied. They walked away rejoicing that they were counted by God worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I think those of us who are Christians in America, we don't understand that. We don't like that part of the gospel. I want to do my thing. I want God to bless me. I don't want to be too bad, and I want to go to heaven. That's kind of what we're taught in America. But Christians in other countries that live under persecution, real persecution, they understand this very differently. And there's a lesson in Acts and for what's going on around the world for the rest of us to understand. See, when, when you're a Christian and you face the threat of persecution, beatings, arrest, or even death, Because we see that on the news once in a while. There are people out in the world that, that think they make a strong statement for their version of religion by killing Christians. Those people count themselves as blessed to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I hear that as an American Christian and I go, well, what, what about them? What, what am I missing? 
And yet I know biblically that it's true. It sounds like crazy stuff. Most of us would do just about anything to avoid that. But if you've ever been bold with your faith, you had taste of this. If you've ever, ever been bold for Jesus, you have had a taste of this. You might not have your life threatened, but you know what? People will go to just about any extreme to get you to be quiet. I know that for a fact. And so one of the things that these Christians around the world know that Peter and John understood 2,000 years ago is that sometimes the greatest growth in the church, exponential growth, exponential numbers of salvations and people coming to faith happen at the same time as there are Christians who are being persecuted for their faith and they're standing boldly in obedience. And the disciples said, what a privilege it is to be able to stand for Jesus who gave his life for us. That's boldness. And in the church in America, we struggle with that. We struggle for being, for being persecuted for our faith, for making, having people who make fun of us or who talk bad about us. We just don't understand what that's like. But these apostles, they lived it out. They didn't talk back. They told the truth. And when they walked away, they didn't get quiet and, and just stop. They celebrated that they were counted as worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. After all, why shouldn't they give their life for the one who gave his life for them? And yet as Christians in America, we struggle with that. So what's the result of believers who live in that kind of boldness? Well, for one, we as a church, as a movement full of believers, are here today 2,000 years later because of what they did. Their example needs to be our example. In verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They did not stop preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that salvation is in him alone. But Luke adds something that he hasn't added before. He sticks with in the temple because we know that's where they've been gathering. That's where religious people who want to know God go. They went to the temple. They continued to teach there. But then it says also from house to house. The movement has now moved from the church to people's homes. There has been a shift that has happened in this boldness. They continued preaching and teaching salvation in Jesus. They still did in the temple. But Luke adds they began to do it house to house. This right here in Acts 5 is why we have life groups. This is the model for the power of what we call life groups. The church grew because people gathered in each other's homes. They shared life and food and Jesus together among the kids and the pets and the clutter and the reality of a busy life. It doesn't say they went to the cleanest houses or the biggest houses or the nicest houses. It says they gathered house to house. Life groups are just like that. Life groups are sharing life, sharing Jesus with other people who are right there with you in the busyness and the messiness and the clutter of everyday life. It's an easy thing to get cleaned up for a Sunday morning and, and come to church for an hour. It's something very different to take what we hear and what we learn and take it out into the week and live it with other people. That's a challenge. For some of us, that takes boldness to live Sharing life in homes with other busy and imperfect people. And yet that's where the Holy Spirit really begins to work. That's where discipleship begins to happen. That's where living life together as a community really happens. And the church grows one person at a time as people are meeting and being saved by Jesus. 
Andrea has been talking for a while about life groups. Andrea has, has just put a ton of energy and, and effort into helping to grow the number of life groups that are available around here. And, and, and the whole point is that we want to journey through life together the way that they did in the book of Acts. Imagine if, if we get this one right, if we follow this model. 2,000 years ago, it gave rise to the Christian church all over America. If we get it right here as this little church in west central Minnesota, I wonder how we could change the culture around us. But we're going to have to be bold. We're going to have to step out of our comfort zone. And so she may reach out to you. She may stop and ask you if you'd be interested in being a part of a life group or, or hosting a life group. And before you say no, listen to her. And maybe you want to really take that bold step and actually go and talk to her. You'd allow that, right, Andrea? You'd let, yes? Yeah, you'd let people come and talk to you about life groups? Yeah, she shook her head. I think that was a yes. You'd be okay with that? Yes. Here's the thing. When, when we get these things right, the same God that gave us a mission... And that's the Great Commission, it's to reach the world with the good news of Jesus and to make disciples. That same God who raised up this church and called us to, to specific ministries, not every ministry, but to specific ministries, through his Holy Spirit is going to move us forward as a movement of people to change the culture in the world around us. God put us here for a reason, for a purpose. God brought you to this place for a reason, for a purpose. And part of that reason and that purpose is to be a movement that reaches the people and changes the culture in the name of Jesus. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And you know what? You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss being a part of that. Life is hard, and, and we're going to struggle in different areas. Things that, that we choose and things that are just thrown at us. And being bold for Jesus is hard. But there is no place that is more awesome than to be then right in the center of where God is at work, where the Holy Spirit is moving. It isn't the safest place. It isn't the most comfortable place. It's not always the most fun place. But you know what? It is the most awesome, joy-filled space to be because we see that this God that we talk about really is real and He really is at work. So maybe today, maybe today is, is your time to begin to be bold for Jesus. Maybe that means it's time that you, you acknowledge even to yourself and to God that addiction. Maybe it's time that you, you go and the next time that friend that you've already pictured is, is taking the names Lord in vain and you just, would you stop doing that, please? Maybe rather than talking about people, you start praying for people. Boldness happens in a lot of different ways. But when we're willing to step out and be bold for Jesus, we have no way of knowing what it is that he is going to do in and among and through us. And God has called us to be something in this area. And we know that, that this movement, God has placed his name on. It isn't about us. It's about him. And we have a chance to be a part of it. I want to challenge you to be bold, to obey whatever it is that God is putting on your heart to do, to be bold and see what God has next. Let's pray. God, we pray for boldness. It is not something that comes easily or naturally to us. Stepping out and, and uh, putting ourselves out there on the line for you, that is scary. People might not like us. People might talk about us. People might say things that aren't true about us. People might make up stories to try to quiet us. We see all of that in the book of Acts. It's nothing new. That's the way Satan works. But God, you've also given us the book of Acts to show us how you work, how your Holy Spirit works. You've also given us the book of Acts as an encouragement for what happens 
when ordinary men and women like those of us here now, when ordinary men and women are willing to obey you and to be bold in our faith for you. God, help us to be those kinds of Christians. Help us to be faithful to the mission and the ministry and the movement that you have called this church to be. In Jesus' name, amen.